0: Hey, Chuck, I need to ask you something. What? I just had a epiphanal a piff, a piff moment. Oh, no. Am I nerdy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in Frontend Development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on... Advanced JavaScript, Angular 2, React, API design with Node, and functional and asynchronous JavaScript. Many of their teachers have even been guests on JavaScript Jabber. Check them out at frontendmasters.com. Hey,
0: everybody, and welcome to the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill, Yo Yo Yo, coming at you live with the only sane person left in the JavaScript community on our show today <laughs> Mads Christensen.
1: Hello.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv.
1: Mads, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm a program manager on the Visual Studio web team, um, responsible for the web tooling that uh, all Visual Studios users love and enjoy every day, hopefully. Um, but it's sort of a broad thing. So I see I see the, the way sort of the web development has gone over the last decade. It seems like that's the only area of development that's gotten harder. It seems like you want to build a, uh, an app for a phone or IoT or anything else, like that's getting easier and easier, but it seems like web development is getting harder for some reason. And um, so I see myself as someone that wants to make the complex things easier and the easier things automated. And um, so that's that's a tall order, but um, I think we're finally getting to a point where there's a light somewhere at the end uh, of, of this and we can break the trend and make web development easier again. We're not there yet, but I think we know
1: sort of what's required. I, I think that's a really interesting point that you're making as far as web development getting harder. I mean, I remember we did an episode on like JavaScript tools fatigue, which was a big thing that people were talking about a few months ago. Um, And, you know, we have all of these frameworks coming out, and they're all trying to solve specific problems that we have and make it easier to build more complicated applications. But at the same time, um, I definitely see where there's so much to know, and it seems like there's something new coming out all the time. Uh, One other conversation that I had that I also want to sort of point the listener to is on Adventures in Angular in particular. Um, We had a conversation where somebody... Um, wrote in and said something to the effect of, um, I run the Angular CLI tool to create a new project and it uh, creates all these tools and it adds all these things and I check the directory and it has like 200,000 files in it and and, you know, and a lot of that was, uh, you know, we discussed it because a lot of it was like in Node modules and things like that and you know, but there there was so much that it just kind of did for you it was like okay i don't completely understand what i'm doing here like i can write my angular and i come out with an app that works but there are a lot of other moving pieces and i don't know which of these i necessarily need to understand and so it's like okay well yeah so do i need do i need a build tool do i need a build system do i need uh continuous integration do i need um jQuery anymore or not? Do I need to? Yeah. Do I need to pick any of these other tools? And should I be using something like TypeScript or CoffeeScript or Name Your Script or whatever? And yeah, right. I, I totally I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah.
2: No, I think I think that the tool the tool chain and the 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 massive sort of uh, introduction of new tools all the time is a big part of what makes uh, web development harder, or at least it contributes a lot to it. I think. Um, like just as an example, I think what two years ago Grunt was or three Grunt was like the thing to to mm-hmm. use, right? And then last year I think it was Gulp took over. There were more downloads all of a sudden of Gulp over Grunt, and so the year two thousand fifteen that was sort of the year of Gulp, right? Mm-hmm. And now it seems Webpack is sort of taken over and and like it's it's um, gaining on Gulp, right? So maybe two thousand sixteen is the year of Webpack, but then, now there's Rollup. And Ember is still using Broccoli, right? There are all these task runners. they yes. do sort of, or bundlers, and, but, and they do sort of similar things. And and so it seems like no matter what you choose, you're either wrong, it's not the best tool for the job, or it's obsolete by the time you're done with your app. Right, right, and so that's- Or bold. That's, oh, <laughs> and, I, and that, you know, that just demotivates a lot of people. And, and it, it, I, I'm not, you know, the whole, um, fatigue people have been talking about. I don't know if that's the right word to, to describe this. It's more like a, I would say it's more like a fear, a fear of doing the wrong thing, a fear of not right. knowing what you think you're supposed to know as, let's say, a front-end developer. Right? And you, so you, you always feel like you're not good enough. And I think that's, that's what all these tools and all this hype uh, and this rapid uh, introduction of new frameworks and tools uh, they do to people. And I don't think it's helpful. I think, and I don't think it's, it's necessary. Um, it's not like we're building apps today that, you know, using the latest tool like that's only, you know, the latest Ember or the latest uh, Angular can do. Like, those same apps we could build like five years ago without any of those tools.
0: Well, but, and, and also five years ago, if you were using, there was only really one framework, it was just jQuery, and that's not even a framework, it's a, an API wrapper to make make it more JavaScript You know, you take something that's less JavaScript, the DOM, you make it more JavaScript. It uses actual JavaScript arrays and transforms things, so it's easier to work with, right? And back then, if you were using one of these tools, it was more likely to just work in more places, whereas now, it seems like it's less likely to just work, and you have additional build tools to then recompile to make it so that it'll work in, say, Android.
2: Right. Right. And, so, and I think that's why the whole uh, concept of a front-end engineer came in five years ago there was no front-end engineer there was a front-end developer sure they probably also did sort of the presentation layer server-side code right? five ten years ago but now like all of a sudden there's a front-end engineer because it's now an engineering job to, to know how to do routing and all this sort of stuff that we do on the client now as well as maintaining uh, usually the, the big node.js tool chain that we've got and so it, it's, a, it's a, so everything is just, there's more to the job now, basically. Yeah, and, and, and the question is, for what? Like for, what did it actually give us? Um, like if we were at a line of business app, uh, in the enterprise, for instance, like a lot of people, like let's say an expense report app, just canonical example. Uh, you know, people probably will use something like Angular today. The question is, is that expense report app gonna be better than if it was written without it? I don't know. I have a feeling that the end result might be exactly the same for the user's point of view right
1: from the user's point of view I think that's fair uh, one thing that I've seen though and, and I'll, I'll admit that you know I'm a big fan of angular um, you know one of my other podcasts is about angular but uh, one of the things that I've seen is that the developer experience in my opinion with angular is much better um, and it's it's kind of the argument that I put out there for frameworks in general yes you could build it in just JavaScript. But Angular gives you a framework and, you know, Ember React, mm-hmm. you know, React has some frameworks on top of it that do the same thing. Um, but essentially they tell you where the code needs to live and give you ways of thinking about the problems so that you can frame them easily and not make as many decisions as you would have to make. Now that nice. means also that the framework is not the right answer for everything because, you know, its opinions may not fit certain problem sets. But the flip side of it is is that I don't have to decide on a whole bunch of things, and I get a whole bunch of common tools that other developers are using, and I can move ahead and I can solve those problems in a well-defined way.
2: Right, I agree with you. Like the, like I think that that's that's also the big allure of the, of those big frameworks is that they do give you sort of a prescriptive way of doing things, and you can concentrate more on building. Mm-hmm. Uh, The application instead of sort of uh, the boilerplate around
0: it so if we look back at jQuery the problem that jQuery actually solved Was making the DOM function in the way that JavaScript functions when I see things like react and angular if you ignore all the framework parts The problem that they're actually trying to solve to me seems to be a very important problem, which is giving scope to HTML so that you can have a class that has a defined scope with variables and parameters that exist only in that scope. So I think the problem that we're trying to solve with those is a real problem, but the problems we end up solving in addition to those are more imaginary ones that, like you you can you could solve them in other ways just as well. But the, the scope in HTML, that is a real problem that developers really need a solution for.
2: Right, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, like there's a lot of benefits of using uh, the right application framework for the right application right, mm-hmm. be it angular ember or whatever it might be right, right. Uh, but there's also a cost associated with it mm-hmm. right and the cost could be let's say in, in, in terms of like angular just as an example uh, the cost could be that we have um, uh, you have to use typescript and you, you don't have to with use angular it too. Well. sure you, you
0: do with until they get docs for JavaScript right
2: so well, anyway, so there's that's the sort of the happy path, right? Yes, the yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. Right. So use TypeScript, and then you, and then there's this uh, toolchain based on Node.js and NPM. Um, I think it's Webpack. Uh, right, so you you are you are opting into like a tool chain like let's say, yes. that's if we go back to the jQuery example, you just put jQuery.js JS in your project and that is it done. You there's no build tools needed. There's no nothing needed here.
1: Right, and, and if you needed extra functionality on top of that, then you would just get a plugin. Yeah, you just pull that plugin in.
2: Right, so we're 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 going in a way where it used to be simple, it used to be very simple, uh, but sort of limited maybe in it didn't do the scoping, it didn't do uh, sort of the prescriptive. Uh, application model of what angular does, but the cost is like too high for a lot of people, right? They don't mm-hmm. want to uh, Why do they want to put tools in their project? Like I understand So are we why... talking
0: cognitive cost? Or are we talking because you say cost, right. but define that a little better
2: um, Yeah uh, So yeah, maybe a cognitive cost that would be a, that would be a good way to say it. Like, it, it's a it's a new thing you have to learn. So if you're new to Webpack, if you're new to Node.js like you need to install a lot of things, you need to understand what's going on. Uh, you need basic understanding of Node.js but probably not that much actually if you if go in with like the say, Web uh, Webpack. Uh, but then you need to know what are the plugins that you need, the different loaders that is required, you're, you're, and then you have to accept that you're putting potentially hundreds of megabytes into your project, into the Node modules folder
0: Um, And and that's a real cost, too, because drives are getting... And I mean, as developers, we can afford to pay the $1,000 to get a reasonably sized solid state, but what computers are selling with, Mm -hmm. when you go to the store, those gigabytes add up pretty quickly in the development folder.
2: And it's also just for people, you know, a lot of developers, they're sort of... uh, They want to keep things night and neat. And if they think that here's a node underscore module, I want to call it something else. Well, first of all, you can't. It has to have that name, right? So, oh, that, you know, I don't use underscores in my naming convention. so that annoys me. Also, 200,000 files or whatever, right. right? In my node, like, that bothers me too. I'm not gonna check it into source control, but I need to learn that I shouldn't do that, right? So there's, right. like,
0: there's oh. there's just so
2: many things
0: to <laughs> if you understand. work with other people, if you are not the sole one-person developer, and you right. work with other people, and somebody checks in those folders, the power uh, folder, the node yeah, modules and folder, and it will
2: happen. I'm sure. Oh, oh it does. Yeah.
0: It does because I mean, like I'm I, I am not a pretty, pixels person. I'm a I'm a code and algorithms person, and so I am always working with someone else. Uh, even even in my current situation, I'm the only coder, in the company I'm co-founding. But my partner, he does pixels. You know, so he will do CSS and HTML and he will check that crap in. And then it's like, I got to wait. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm, I uh, went to visit family. They have a nice house that's um, secluded and they have satellite internet. And I went over their bandwidth limits, get cloning dependency stuff. You know, <laughs> and, and you don't think about this because you think, oh, well, you know, everybody lives in San Francisco. Like everyone must live there. But some people right. don't.
2: Most <laughs> yeah. <Both> people don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's and I think like because who is it that who drives the conversation today? Right. It's it's, you know, bloggers on medium that gets uh, link shared to Hacker News uh-huh. and. And so it's a certain type of people that sort of drive the conversation. And on Twitter and and so on.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to be one of those types of people real quick and interrupt you. Because, you know, we're we're talking about things like the the Node modules folder. I mean, I never look at it unless I have a problem anyway. Right. And, you know, and I don't check it in. So that doesn't Mm. cause me issues. And so, you know, to some degree, if you follow a couple of good rules, it may not bother you. Right. And so I... So, <laughs> I
2: personally agree with you. Like, I don't mind the node modules folder. I don't. Right. I don't look at it. I actually hide it, so I don't actually see it unless I right. uh, look in Windows Explorer. But I don't see it in my in Visual Studio. And so, um, so I personally agree with you. But when when I build web tools for you know in Visual mm-hmm. Studio or outside Visual Studio for that matter, um, I don't do it just for myself. Right. But, and so you quickly learn when you have like a product that's used by millions of people that people have different ways of looking at different things. And you've also very quickly then realized that Node modules is one of those things that a lot of people have big issues with. This is true. I so, have
0: heard this. So, yeah. so back up just a second. What what was your, your title at Microsoft again? What are, Where's your... Uh, program Manager. Program Manager yeah. of... Of the Visual Studio Web Team. Visual Studio Web Team. Okay. Because yeah. I, I remember you said that, but... Right. Okay.
2: Uh, yeah. So I mean, so so that's just sort of the reality is that we have we have uh, we have this conversation that goes on online on Medium mm-hmm. and all that, and so people sit there, and so maybe they're not maybe they're using some older technology because their company you know keeps them in charge of that, and there's nothing new for them to, to do, uh, but that keeping keeping an older app alive, for instance, and they look at all this uh, conversation that's going on on Hacker News and whatnot, and they're feeling left behind, right? They're, they don't feel good because they're not using Webpack. They just learned about it yesterday, but now they feel like if they don't use it, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be left behind. They haven't heard about Rollup yet, right? right? which may or may not deprecate Web. I don't know. Right? No one knows this, but it could be. And then they're going to feel left behind if they went to Webpack. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of hurdles that they have to go through and there's a lot of yeah, cognitive so, uh, issues there.
0: So what are the, the type of customers that you are most concerned with in, you know, from, from your perspective, because you're talking about you are making decisions that are going to affect lots of people. So I'm imagining a lot of these people are on Windows, mm-hmm. uh, maybe all of them, or... or
2: for, yeah, for, for Visual Studio they all are, but we're also doing uh, Beginning to doing tools for Visual Studio Code, so not, they're not necessarily all, but okay. they're they're two separate types of. So it kind, of uh, kind of describe
0: kind of describe the the user story of of what you see as your you know your average user. Are right. they a college student? Are they a junior engineer? Are they right. a senior engineer?
2: There there so first of all there is no average user. I think that's very important to understand. Um, we're all like we're all different, and we all see the world a little bit differently. There are some categories, though, I would say. So there's the beginner, there's the student, there's the sort of the enterprise developer that is sort of forced to not be on the latest, like they, they have to use an older mm-hmm. version of Visual Studio, for instance, or they have to support older versions of browsers for their internet apps or whatnot, right? right. Uh, you, have the, you have the hackers, you have the, the, the console, uh, you know, Sublime Text and, and a console. Uh, kind of people, you have the Node.js camp, you have... Uh, people are just all over the map, right? And it's like, and it's not like you're just a Node.js person, right? You're also maybe a Python person as well, mm-hmm. or if you do ASP.NET, you probably you might have a side project in I don't know Rails or you know JS, right? Uh, I don't know. So there's like so there's not like one persona here or, uh, mm-hmm. that is the average user. It's like it's really everywhere. But what is really important is that if you're a beginner, if you're brand new and you you know you come into web development. It has to be sort of a welcoming, simple, to get started experience, right? So if we go and say, oh, I want to build an app. And you go search online, oh, I'm new to web development, what should I do? And the first thing you're faced with is, oh, Angular 2 or Aurelia, right? And you say, okay, how do I do that? Well, install Node, and then go in and do like new, you know, init or whatever. And right. um, and download this, uh, you know, clone this thing from uh, GitHub. Okay, so I install Git first, and then you install your... Uh, like say Aurelia Skeleton app that comes with, you know, <clears throat> karma test runners and, and uh, like 118 megabytes I think of stuff in your node modules. right And that, and, and if we give them this as a beginner, like they're not gonna know what to do here. Like This is just so, way beyond what they can do, right?
0: So as a Mac user, like that really doesn't, what you're describing, like the words you're using sound uh-huh. daunting, but when I think of my experience, I just, I go on the site, I double click, And it works. Are you a beginner? Uh, No. Right. So imagine you
2: come out of of high school or college or whatever, right? And you haven't really written anything. Um, Maybe you are not even, like, trained in any computer science degree or anything like that. You're just hobby or whatever. Like, I want to make sure that the tools we've built, you know, serves the beginner that's a hobby person that just wants to play around and see what they can do. Build a website for their local soccer club or whatever, right? I want to make sure it works for them. And I want to make sure that they can grow in the tooling all the way up to be the most professional, you know, front-end developer in the world, basically. So take them on that whole journey, right? But anywhere you want to, anywhere you are on that spectrum of like absolute beginner to absolute professional, like it has to be something that works for you no matter where you fit in there. And that's a huge challenge because uh, Visual Studio is a very rich tool. It has a lot of different features, and so the more, the, the, the more prolific you get, the better you become at front-end development, the more uh, control you want of your tools, mm-hmm. right? So how do you then tool something that works for both the beginner and the, the super advanced user, but give them the freedom to choose individual
1: pieces that they want, all this sort of stuff. That's very, very challenging. One other thing that I'll just pile on with is that if we simplify things down to the point where the beginners can kind of just get in and get it, then you have a tool that's simple enough for everybody else too. Like that, that kind of simplicity when we're talking about, you know, the JavaScript tools fatigue or some of the other things that we've talked about, you know, having a simple tool that just does its thing right. is actually pretty nice for the professionals as well. Right. And you know, and then, and then if there are options that you want to add in and say, look, you can tweak it like this, mm-hmm. then great. But yeah, just the simple, okay, I'm not gonna care about CSS right now. So I'm just going to use the compiler tool for that, right. you know, and it just works. Right. Then great, and then I can go and I can fiddle with Grunt or Gulp or mm-hmm. Webpack to my heart's content till I have what I want out of that.
0: Yeah. So years ago, we did a show on accessibility, and you just said something that was like very similar. To what he said, if you if you make a, uh, an app or in this case a tool accessible to one group of people. You tend to make it accessible to all groups of people. If you make an app that works better for people that are colorblind, it will also generally work better for people who aren't colorblind. Yeah. If we make tools that are simpler for beginners, right. then in theory they'll also be simpler for experts.
1: Right. So, so I guess my question is, um, you know, seeing that we have people on all these different ends of the spectrum, we have people at the beginner stage, we have people who are um, figuring out how to build JavaScript into WebAssembly and do all this wild crazy stuff and they've got all this interesting tooling and, and other things going on. You know, h- How do we create a JavaScript environment then that is approachable by everybody mm-hmm. and that um, doesn't have some of these issues where there's a new tool of the day next week? Right. I, I wish
2: I, I knew the answer to that. Um, I think there are, there are different aspects that we can do. I think Aurelia actually did the Aurelia framework, did a really interesting thing. So they have, uh, just like Angular 2, they have this, the happy path, which is sort of mm-hmm. this you know, TypeScript and the Node, you know, Webpack tool chain, Node.js and all that sort of yeah. stuff. We've had Rob
1: on the show before, so.
2: Right, okay. So, or as a new thing they did was, here's aurelia.js. Just include it on your page and start coding up Aurelia. Right. there's no tools needed here. It's just it's sort of plug and play. So you can get started mm. with with Aurelia really quick, that's
1: and, and and really get cool. to
2: know it and learn about it. And then say, okay, I I'm, I'm my app is now growing, or whatever, and I want to you know grow my tool chain too to do the proper tree shaking and whatnot, right? And so you can do that afterwards. But the Aurelia well, you know, modules and all that stuff you build are the same. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting approach, um, and that's definitely like. Sort That's of like maybe the more beginner that we talked about earlier. Right? Yeah, yeah, it has that sort you of. You drop it
1: into the page right? and then build your stuff.
2: Yeah, so I really like that. And I think a lot of the tools that we use in, and primarily from the Node.js toolchain, like whether it be gulp or webpack loaders or whatever, gulp tasks. I mean, uh, stuff like optimizing images um, is something that I think. Well, people put that in their in their projects as as a dev dependency, but th- how often do you actually have to? Optimize images. It's important that you do it. It's really important that you do it, you know. But how often do you get new images? Like, do you do do you, do you do it every time you do a CI build? Like, why why spend time on that? Why not just do it when the images come in, or every now and again? So you just have it. So I would just saying, saving tool or something on there. But, well, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could do it. You could do it either as a. I would say install it as a global module. Just do it on your dev box. Like, why put that in your project? I'm I'm fine with people that That's does fair. that. But you could just do a global install or do other tools. right? There, are, So there are Visual Studio extensions, for instance. Now we're talking about Visual Studio. That can do that, too. So you basically just hit a keyboard shortcut or right click on, on your project or your the individual image and say optimize image. Right? Choose between lossless and lossy, and, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know with the latest softly and encoding and, and all this stuff. So that's great. Um, but, you know, so there is this, we tend to, like, just shove everything into the, into the project for as dependencies, and um, I think the only thing that really belongs there are compilers, right? So whether it be Babel, LESS, SAS, so, TypeScript, like, that's great, mm-hmm. that you want to, you want to keep that version to your project so that every developer has the same, compi- that makes absolutely perfect sense. Uh, but I think a lot of the other tools that we use, there are better uh, approaches, and that just simplifies things as well, because you may not use... You may not use uh, the Node.js tool chamber, but you're you're searching online for, hey, how do I optimize images? And you go to, oh, npm install into your project. And so you think, okay, now I need to have that. Mm-hmm. But maybe you don't. Maybe there's a, a, a different way to, to get the same result in a much simpler way.
0: So right. I've got a question about, obviously the community is just nuts about build tools, but One of the technologies that's come out in the past few years, which I think all major browsers, including Edge, if I'm not mistaken, have adopted, is HTTP2, Mm -hmm. which totally obviates the need, in terms of what the spec says, for most of these tools. We don't need to have one sprite sheet with a million images on it. We don't need to have all of our modules minified into just one single JS file, if I understand. But it doesn't seem like anybody's putting tooling into... I'm not hearing hype about people using HTTP2 to get those benefits. I'm only hearing hype around tool, towards the static build.
2: What I've learned about it is that it's not the magic bullet that we think it is. Okay. And so if you have a, if your JavaScript file is 100K, like, um, that's still 100k over the wire. So you, you still want to like minify it and all that. You may well, want to split it up, so you don't load it unnecessarily before you need it. All so I think like it's not it's no magic bullet. And it, the test that I've seen being done has not been like, oh, you get twice the speed or whatever. Like not at all, like not even close. So um, I think it's like there are scenarios where that's true, but I don't think, um, as far as I know, and I could be totally wrong, um, it is not uh, really going to change the fact that we need the version.
0: Well, I, I see that in the Golang community, there's there seems to be more support for HTTP2. In the Node community, there seems to be like zero interest in it. But right. I mean, when I I was just under the impression that we were going to be able to serve up an index.html. There was going to be some module that, that kind of read and cached what the dependencies were, right. and then they would just all get sent out, bundled and minified kind of automatically. Not necessarily minified in the sense of like white space replaced, right. but minified in the sense that it goes through the... Uh, gzip module and and that 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 kind of caching stuff was just going to be able to to live in the in in the transport layer
2: right yeah i i will admit i don't know enough about it but from what i've seen um there's probably a reason why we don't hear more
1: this episode is sponsored by hired.com Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with a company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber.
0: <laughs> and earlier you were, and um, a similar talk to what we were just talking about, earlier you were, you were saying uh, tomorrow you're doing a presentation about not using so much of the the dependency installers.
2: Right, right, right. So, you can
0: spoil a little because this won't go out right away. Yeah,
2: that's fine. Um, yeah, so... It's it's a package management um, issue that I think we've got. Like if you look at the package managers that are out there, right, uh, and it doesn't matter which one, you know, npm, bower, like in the in the .NET world we have NuGet, um, but there, you know, let's take the front end one, right. So you have bower and npm. They have uh, they have a couple of problems that kind of uh, is very similar to what we talked about earlier, in that if I install a, a Let's say jQuery, let's just take that as an example. I install jQuery using NPM. Um, you know, it gets put into my node modules folder and I get like, I don't know, 150 files, right? I just want jQuery-mint.js. I don't care about anything else. I just, I don't even want the .map file because you know what? I'm not even gonna debug jQuery, right? I don't, you know, I just want jQuery-mint.js. Well, you JS. sound like me because that's exactly <laughs> it, right? It's right.
1: like, I just want the thing that I can put in my page right? Yeah, and I'm not gonna debug jQuery. I'm gonna go wind somebody else and make right. them do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so so you end up with like uh, you end up with something in node modules, you know, and your web server probably you're you're not gonna publish that, right? So you, now you need some tool that will move it from your node modules folder into your lib folder somewhere on your web server, right? On your public path. And so uh, so now we're like non-level deep. You can do that in a NPM script, so you don't need anything else, but you know, as right. you know, the more you have of, of those, the weirder your, your package package.json file becomes, right? But yeah, and if anything
1: changes, then you have to maintain the script as well as everything else. Yeah,
2: so there's no magic bullet to this problem. Right. You still need, there's, right. So you're creating a lot of problems for yourself. Like take Bower for instance. That's a little bit better because we can actually place the Bower components folder anywhere we want. Mm-hmm. So we, in the case of jQuery, we actually get the exact same payload. Like get the, like get the 150 files, but now at least we can put them under, you know, dist slash lib. Mm-hmm. If that's where you want to put them. Then we can go there. And so that's a little bit better. I don't need a tool to move things. But now I will, do I then publish all the 150 files now because they're in that folder? And you know, so that's not really that clever either. Right. And you know, really, I just wanted that jQuery and min.js. I didn't care about the rest. So they're create like they're, they're solving a problem, but they're creating other ones. So I got this idea a while back. So there are these um, CDNs out there, open source CDNs like CDNJS.com mm-hmm. and jsdeliver.com. They're open source, and uh, you know they have they have nodes all over the world, um, and they all have like almost I think 2,000 JavaScript libraries and CSS libraries, right? Whether it's and even like stuff we would call dev dependencies like test frameworks, uh, they're all on there on those CDNs. So why is it? Wouldn't it be cool then if we could just use the CDNs as our pack- I'm doing air quotes here, as um, our package manager? So I'm not talking about going there, downloading the you know figuring out what the path is on the CDN, downloading the file. But what if we had a tool that looks sort of similar to how we would install an npm package? Let's call it. Let's just pretend that I have a console app, called, you know, a CLI tool called CDN. I could do CDN install jQuery.
0: And then it just opens it, up index.html and throws it in. And
2: it Whatever path I'm in, it just puts jQuery Min.js. It's smart enough, so it knows it's jQuery Min.js. Oh, okay, okay. But you know, I work in Visual Studio, so I'm like, okay, we can definitely do a command line tool, but I also want the visual thing. So you have this, you know, have this little button. You can click. You can right click any folder in your project, add client side package or client side library, whatever I call it, and it pops up a dialog. You can search in real time. You say jQuery, it will show you exactly what files the CDN has. You can see it has the slim.js, it has the min, it has mm-hmm. the map, blah, blah, blah. So no, I just want jQuery min.js. That's actually checked by default because we know, how, actually the CDN JS and JS deliver knows what the default file is. Mm-hmm. So we can just pre-check that. So if that's all you want, you, oh, just hit enter, you're good. And you can get all the versions, all the way to whatever versions they have, which is all of them, uh, that are available on the CDN. So that way we have that ultimate flexibility so that we only get what we need and we can put it to, in any folder that we want, like maximum flexibility. And we can also create a manifest file. So, um, you know, well that's called call it cdn.json, let's call it that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have our dependencies and then we can just list them and they're basically just cdn.js dependencies, right? So that means we can now restore packages. You don't have to check them into source control. We can do sort of the same right. stuff. The only thing we can't do with this is, the, is uh, dependency resolution. There is no information about dependencies, and so the question is, is it, is that okay, or, or is it not okay? And it definitely, in the case of jQuery, that's perfectly okay. There is there are no dependencies, yeah. or Bootstrap. Bootstrap, okay, it depends on jQuery if you choose to use the JavaScript side of Bootstrap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you know that, and you install jQuery. Um, so the question is, is that is that okay? Is that okay that there is no dependency resolution? If you look at Bower and npm today the dependency resolution uh, on each of them are not, like there's no magic bullet there, they have issues, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you have, you end up with like deeply nested node modules in NPM if you have some version mismatch between dependencies, right?
1: Uh, And their dependencies,
0: That's always fun too, right? Right. Yeah, for those of you that are still running like node point 10 or something, you definitely need to upgrade, but in the new one, they did get rid of a lot of the node modules garbage where it, for the most part now, it's all flat directory structure in your main yes. project directory. Right. Um, so that's like that's a huge win that I don't think a lot of people know about yet because it's amazing. People run old, old versions oh, yeah. of Node. I mean, people are still running like three, four-year-old versions of mm-hmm. Node. Yeah. Well, so you need uh,
2: you need NPM three for that. That's the one that mm-hmm. does the the flat hierarchy. Yeah. And what is that three ten uh, Is that the version? Uh, I don't like remember. But anyway, the um, so that helps a lot, but uh, you know, And Bauer has other issues where that's always been a flat hierarchy and so you get warnings and you get like, do you want to do dash dash force or whatever it's called f- to, like, to like force a newer dependency or whatever. So that also just, that doesn't really work either, right? It, it gives you warnings about things and it tells you and it brings in stuff, but it doesn't resolve when there are conflicts. So this remains to be seen, right? We're testing it right now, we have like a couple thousand users on this prototype. And so we're seeing, so far, that's been not a single report of any dependency issues, right? hmm. or like missing support for dependency resolution. Right. So it might be fine, but the fact that it's I- incredibly fast, right? So there are nodes all over the world for these yes. CDNs, so it's like, it's instant. It works completely offline too. So if you ever had a package, or a package, in this case, that's a jQuery, right? <laughs> if you ever installed that on your machine before, it will be on a cache somewhere in your user uh, folder. And so you can offline; it just works. Oh, that makes sense too. And you can even go so far as say, well, if I've used jQuery before, like in the background, let me just get. If I see there's a new version coming online on the uh, Thank on the CDNC, you. Let's just bring it down, right? They're so small anyway. It's not like 150 file uh-huh. GitHub repo that I'm cloning. It's just a couple of files, right? And so you can imagine that we can build some heuristics that will auto that will like automatically download the latest and greatest based on your pattern. Or also maybe based on well what are the most popular things out there? Like predict what are you might what you may want to do.
0: Oh so if you if you download jQuery, then then the package manager that you're talking about uh-huh. in this Visual Studio plugin that you're right. you're working on right. would say, Oh well people that use jQuery really, really commonly use Lightbox and uh, some jQuery plugin. Yes. So it just goes ahead and downloads a couple of kilobytes for you while yeah. you're on a Wi-Fi connection. Exactly. And then when you're on the plane. Right. And you go, oh, wow, I need that thing I forgot. It's already there.
2: Yeah, but we can do way more, right? Because we know, so there is, I forget the name of this project. Maybe you know there's a project out there that has basically a JSON file that lists dependent uh, security vulnerabilities in known versions of libraries. So, for instance, jQuery 16, I'm making this up. jQuery 164 has a known security vulnerability, right? And that's a known, and so this JSON file on GitHub describes all these things. And so we can, you know, proactively say, oh, you're using this version right. of jQuery, maybe you want to consider, up, you know, click here to update mm-hmm. to the next version of it. Um, we can do all sorts of things with, uh, like, oh, we know this is a library file, this is jQuery. Like, so we can change the icon to say, like, it has a different color. Or, you know, like a deeper tooling integration that makes working with uh, dependencies a much, much clearer, basically. Um, so I think, like, just from a tooling point of view, and this is not a Visual Studio specific thing, when we build this uh, which I really, really hope we do, like right now it's just a proof of concept this, it's not the, the, this is not what we're going to take forward, we're going to start fresh with what we've learned from the proof of concept. So when we do that um, we're going to make it cross-platform, right? so it's going to run on .NET Core and so you can imagine there will be extensions for. There might even be like uh, NPM module for it as well. So you have like you can use the console. You can have tooling integration to uh, like say VS Code or uh, IntelliJ or whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the point. So and um, I don't know. I think I think it really has merit. I think it, it it solves a lot of problems for a lot of people if we do it right.
0: Yeah, what you're describing sounds good to me. And And I just like
2: the fact that it's not a package manager. It's not, oh, Microsoft is building a new package manager. No, it's sort of just a download client. right? That's smart.
1: That's all it is. So if people want to try and do something like this on their own while you're Mm -hmm. still experimenting, is there a good way to do that? Is there, is there like some description of okay do this and this and this and then you're, you're there? Or?
2: No, no. It's, it's just a proof concept. So there's not really anything except the extension and the source code is on GitHub. People can okay. go take a look at it. Um, so that's also oh, another th- very beneficial thing. Let's say your, your company has like some uh, JavaScript uh, plugins or you know, whatever, jQuery plugins that you're sort of mandated to use or whatever and they probably have them on a share somewhere. Well, if you use Bower, you have to set up sort of a Bower registry, right? Locally, on, in mm-hmm. your, or, or NPM registry that's local to your company, and you know, that's a lot of work. So with this new, with this CDN approach where we have that manifest file, like the manifest can point to either CDN path, right? But it can also just point to any path. So you can just point it to like, I want the, my company's jQuery plugin that's on my UNC share somewhere on like a central server, somewhere on the company. And it will just, you know, take it in. Oh, nice. So that you have that full flexibility, you don't have to set up mm-hmm. like custom registries or anything. Like it's really, really
0: flexible. What, what's a UNC share? I'm not familiar with that term.
2: Oh, sorry. This it's a, it, Okay. I maybe it's a Windows term. It's a, basically like a, a share, shared folder in, the, in a company server.
0: Oh, like the, the Z drive. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, yeah. So, you know, th- that flexibility I think is what a lot of people have been... Uh, been asking for for you know with the npm and power and, and was never able to get it. Like the fact that you just say I want jQuery minjs into that specific folder and nothing else.
0: Yeah, I I really do nice. wish I really do wish that like you had to specify dash dash dev dash dash thrash my drive <laughs> in order to get all the dev and the tests. I don't care.
2: Right.
0: I'll let the person that's building the library test it and if I want to become a developer for that library right. then I'll go on the GitHub readme and I'll copy and paste the thing that's dash dash install all the freaking dependencies. Right. But I would
2: say that this could be <laughs> solved by NPM and Bower to a certain degree. Uh, NPM not so much because you're, you're logged into the node underscore modules folder name. You can't change that. But um, if they, so they both have the concept of a main property, so you, which is an array of files that is in the mm-hmm. package. So you, okay, these are my main files. I think in the in the terms of jQuery, I think that jQuery main is uh, points to jQuery.js, which is not the file I want to use. I want to use jQuery.min.js. Mm-hmm. So if you go look at, at the packages, the different packages, like it's very rare you see one that actually is accurate uh, to what you want. And so. If NPM by default, when you said like NPM install or Bower, said Bower install, would look at the main file and only give you that, then it would actually go a long way toward what I was what I'm describing. Right. Well, in,
0: in Node, you have to also, I mean, I think this could be done automatically as part of the publish process, but you also have to inspect the requires and, and build the require tree. And sometimes people, to be crafty, to... to for specific reasons of like not loading a large module until it's needed or something like that I don't know how many people do that but I do that. The requires aren't necessarily all listed up at the top and I guess that's what that's what ES6 is trying to solve is make it so you statically it's easier to analyze where dependencies are.
2: But but either way, there's there's a solution somewhere in there for that problem too, without you having to get the benchmark folder and the docs folder yeah. and the test folder and. You know. Well, I mean, <laughs> e-
0: even if even if most people they have main and they have lib and that's it. I mean, like from what I see, mm-hmm. so I like and 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 there is a place to specify the lib folder in right. the npm right. package.json. Yeah, so
2: I think that would like a more or maybe maybe they have solved but. The package owners, if they were more uh, aware of of this and, and would have a more clean package, basically,
0: then the problem wouldn't be as, as big. And also, we're not really defined to the Node modules folder. It's Require is just a JavaScript function like everything else in Node. It's mm. not... I mean, people do overwrite it. Like, uh, we were talking with somebody yesterday that they... They do dependency injection. They overwrite mm-hmm. the default require with another function mm-hmm. and export that, and then they're able to do better testing uh, by by doing the same kind of dependency injection that Angular does, but with the require function. Mm-hmm. So we could fix it. I think that there's just not enough community desire to fix it. Right. Yeah. Okay. The I think that was Donovan Brown. We talked to him about
1: DevOps. Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to get into uh, web development. And Visual Studio, but I don't think we have time, so okay. w- yeah, what great. we may do is just get in touch with you and have you come back on the show. Yeah, okay. sure. Anytime. Um, but, yeah, uh, one thing that we do at the end of the show, I'm going to start wrapping us up so that we can be out of here before the next group, um, is we do picks, and what picks are is just anything that you're kind of interested in or uh-huh. into right now. So have people pick TV shows or music or books or uh-huh. tech. Uh, I mean, it, it can be tech, so if there's a library you're working on right, or something right, you right. want to talk about or anything like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to make AJ go
0: first so you can kind of okay, see how this anyone. is done. Yeah, right. Uh, so I, I love nerdy people, and when I discover them, I'll ask them nerdy questions like, do you watch anime? And then sometimes, like every time, they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, sweet, because I'm a closet anime watcher. You wouldn't necessarily know by the way that I am. Maybe you would. But,
1: so. Uh, yeah, your, so, your
0: giant uh, physique. <laughs> my, my extremely long legs. Um, my blue hair. But there's there's one that I just discovered the other day, because I was, I was talking to somebody, and she mentioned it, called Death Note and so I started watching it last night and it's really cool it's about this guy who you know Japanese culture there's there's a lot of these shows like the Miyazaki films like the gods and and spirits are like a real big uh, influence in the, in the way the shows go so uh, there's this this God of death that drops its death notebook that when it when the God of death writes a name in, in the death notebook that person dies so the god drops the death notebook and this student picks it up and then it transforms his life and you find out in the first episode that he basically, it, it becomes a power trip on him. And so he actually, he starts out as if he's going to be the good guy, but then by the end of the first episode you realize, oh, he's he's going to be the bad guy. Interesting. Alright,
1: I've got a couple of picks that I'm going to throw out here. The first one is is that, um, as we record this, I'm starting to gear up for JS Remote Conf in January. Um, it's an online conference. You don't have to travel. Um, and usually I have people like AJ and um, you know just other people we've had on the shows uh, come on and speak. And so if you're interested in speaking, the call for proposals is open. And if you're interested in attending, you can buy tickets. Uh, early bird tickets are available until about a month before the conference. So I recommend you get them then. And uh, one other thing that I will also throw out there is that the videos from the other conferences are also available on devchat.tv. So if you go to devchat.tv slash conferences, then you can see which conferences are available. Um, Once the conference videos are about a year old, um, I move them over so that you just have to enter your email address to get them. Um, Before then, you actually have to uh, buy, basically it's an after-the-fact ticket, and then you get unlimited access to the videos. So uh, definitely check those out. And um, I've also been reading a book um, it's called The Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson, and it is it's kind of a fun book. Um, it's set in the, um, what are those books called? Mistborn uh, universe. It's just like 300 years later. It's kind of a, i kind of want to say it's a Western with magic, but it's a little more complicated than that. Um, but yeah, it's set early 1900s. Um, they're actually in a city, so it's not really a Western. But, um, yeah, the main characters were peacekeepers out in the uh, remote areas. And then uh, one of them came back, and then the other one came back. and Anyway, so it's, it's a really fun series. I really like most of the stuff that uh, I've read by Brandon Sanderson, and so I'm going to pick those. And then um, I think I mentioned this on the show before, but I've also been listening to a lot of Zig Ziglar, Um, He's a motivational speaker, and uh, uh, yeah, he covers a a wide gamut of topics. But uh, one of the things that I have decided I'm going to do is by the end of the year, I'm going to listen to Everything Audible Has by Zig Ziglar. Um, A lot of them are like one-hour talks. Uh, There are a handful of books in there, and I am just really enjoying it. I feel like um, it's inspiring me to do better, be a better person, uh, teaching me how to live better and so I'm just really liking that so if you're looking for inspirational, motivational um, and very practical stuff about how to live better um, I, I can't recommend highly enough that you listen to Zig Ziglar uh, Mads, do you have some picks for us?
2: Yeah I, um, yeah. so I have something that's new to me but not, maybe not new to, to all the listeners but uh, the TV show Mr. Robot I, uh, I downloaded it for the flight down here and I've been binge watching it here at the conference uh, whenever I had some downtime that's just great That's I don't know if you've seen it but it's um, I think it's the first like TV show movie whatever that is uh, you know, actually depicting like accurately how like, hackers work and so when they have when they show a console and you know they type the password you know the password doesn't show it's it, you know just like it is in real life when you have a term like they just get it right and it's like it's really really well done uh, it's a pretty paranoid show, though, so I'm not sure it's for everyone. But uh, if you're into like good tech uh, TV shows, then uh, Mister Robot definitely. Mister Robot and season two um, is out now.
0: Is this Netflix or Hulu or what?
2: I don't know. I I actually uh, I, think I, I got it a, I bought it, but um, okay. Yeah, it's a U yeah it's USA, but I don't know if they have it on Netflix now. I don't know, but I downloaded it from. Uh, the Xbox movies or whatever it's called. So, oh, okay. Uh, so I can watch it offline. Yeah, that's really, really good. Christian Slater, I haven't seen him in years.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, he's in it. It's funny you mentioned that, that it's like realistic for tech people because when we were riding over here, our Uber driver worked at CDC and so, we asked him, we're like, so is it anything like what we see on TV? And he's like, no. And then, yeah, and then he's like, yeah, I always wonder about the tech stuff. More like-. And so we did the same thing, right? It's like, yeah, what they do in the movies is not possible. Right.
0: But yeah, so if only you had three hands, you could hack the firewall faster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: Got to write a GUI in Visual Basic to uh, look up the IP address.
1: Yeah,
0: security. <laughs> you expertise. also watch NCIS.
2: <laughs> I just watched the YouTube clip, I think. <laughs>
1: security experts at NSA happen to use the password. Password. Right? <laughs> yeah, yes. this is crazy. Anyway, um, thanks for coming and talking to us. This was really fun. My pleasure. Uh, we'll definitely have to do it again. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter or see what else you're working on, uh-huh. if you have a blog, anything like that you want to share.
2: Yeah, so Twitter mchristensen and uh, my blog is matschristensen.net Okay. Do um, you want to spell that for our folks? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So, Matt, M-A-D-S, that's my first name, not short for anything, that is my actual name, M-A-D-S. And last name, Christensen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, S-E-N.
1: All right. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up, but thanks again. We'll catch everyone next week.